Here we find the creator of the world. This man says, now listen, if you can do anything. Jesus turned that whole thing around in the next verse, verse 23, and said to him, now if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Uh, I have the ability, you have to have the faith. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Every time I come to that, I kind of chuckle because it, it looks like two different things. Lord, I believe, but I don't believe much. I need to believe more. It's so much like you and me. We believe sometimes so strongly, and, uh, and then we ask ourselves, you know, I don't think I have much faith at all. This man was just being honest with the Lord. And, you know, I think when we're honest with God, he likes that. You know that? He loves honesty. 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him. And he entered him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as, as, a, as one dead, so that many said, He's dead. He, this boy was laying on the ground after Jesus expelled, exercised this demon. But uh, the disciples were looking at this and they were asking themselves, you know, why couldn't we do this? You know, this is our business. This is what we're here for. Look at verse 28. And, we, and when he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Now, here's the big verse right here, verse 29. So he said to them, this, this kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and what? Fasting. Jesus said, this is your problem. Uh, stepping out of the cloud. You know, uh, I was so into last week the transfiguration because there's so many things it teaches us. And it's so applicable to you and to me today. It, of course, was in their day. Jesus was trying to teach these disciples that, uh, and give them a glimpse of the afterlife. You know, I'm glad that this world is not the end. Because it's awful short, isn't it? It's awful short. I'm glad that uh, this world is a preview only of the world to come. It just gives us a little taste of what could be under the right conditions. And so Jesus here takes Peter, James, and John up into the mountain to be changed before them and to show them a glimpse of the glory of God. It teaches also that uh, we're going to know each other in heaven, and that's a good thing. Moses was still Moses, Elijah was still Elijah, and they looked pretty healthy. You know, uh, in life we forged some relationships. Uh, they're imperfect relationships. Sometimes we love each other a lot, and, and then a lot, sometimes we don't love each other that much. And we just wish that our relationships could be so much better than they really are. Well, if we last long enough, they are going to be better. They're going to be perfect relationships in heaven. And that'll be a wonderful thing. And I'm looking forward to that. It also taught these disciples that went up onto the mountain this, uh, that the kingdom of God is going to prevail no matter what's happening on earth in front of them. And I think this is one of the great reasons that Jesus summoned Peter, James, and John up into the mountain to show them that, listen, they were getting ready for the cross and the end of their world was going to be exploded and Jesus wanted them to give a, a picture that, listen, I'm in control. Just trust me. 
I'm in control. Even though you're going to walk down through the valley of the shadow of death and you're going to see your hero die upon the cross, uh, remember uh, the mountain, what happened up there. You know, we have our small in comparison counterparts to this great story on earth. Uh, we go to a retreat, men's retreat, ladies' retreat of the church, and we pinch ourselves and we say, wow, this is so good. Holy cow. I know when the guys go down to Deep Creek, Maryland, it's hard for us to get them back up here. You know, we have to say, listen, now you got to go home. Come on. You got to go back to your job. And they say, oh, do we have to? You know, they're having such a good time. They've unloaded a lot of their burdens. They can think clearly uh, for a day or two. And they have Christian fellowship. And it's just like a little glimpse of heaven. And the ladies have the same experience at their retreat too. But we have to go back home. We have to go back to the grind, the problems that are, that are there for us. And so Peter wanted to stay up on the mountain, and I'm kind of reviewing this morning on this point. He wanted to stay, and he said, let's build three tabernacles, one for Jesus and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And, you know, it's awful easy for Christians to build tabernacles on the mountain and forget about the valley of need. We can do that, and we would like to do that. We would like to go up onto some mountain somewhere and build a tabernacle and say, hey, listen, let's just stay here because it's nice up here and it's, it's not threatening, it's not dangerous up here. But Jesus said, listen, I'm doing this for a purpose. And one of the main purposes I'm doing this for is, is you've got to go back down into the valley. And there you have to take some of the inspiration that you got on the mountain. What a drop. From the glory of God to the chaos of the world. What a, from day, from night, from day to night. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he, what? He fall. And sometimes, you know, we get up so high and we think, boy, this is really great. How long is this going to last? And all of a sudden, well, it's over. <laughs> you know, it lasted about this long. <laughs> Uh, and we have to plunge back down into the valley of need. There's chaos everywhere in the valley. You've heard, how many people have ever heard the saying that a person is so heavenly minded they're no earthly good? Have you ever heard that statement? Raise your hand. So heavenly minded you're not earthly good. Don't, uh, don't repeat that. That's not a very good statement. Jesus is teaching us here in this passage that in order for you to be earthly good, you have to be heavenly minded. In order for you to be of any value in the valley, in the problems, you have to, be, you have, to have your mind focus on God. Paul said in Colossians 3.1 this, Seek those things which are above. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things that you need will be added unto you. Well, it's time to come back down off the mountain. Peter is discouraged. Uh, James and John, they don't like the idea either, going back where they were. And Jesus said, now listen, don't tell anybody about this. This story that we had last week, and I'm giving you a little bit of it this morning. Remember, if it was told, would add fuel to the fire of the wrong conception of the Messiahship. Uh, these disciples of the Lord hadn't learned yet what true Messiahship was. They wanted a Messiah that could shake his finger under the nose of Rome and say, let my people go. 
And if these disciples had come back down off the mountain and shared this story, that'd be like putting gas on the fire. They would know for sure that Jesus was indeed a prophet like Moses to come to deliver them. But Jesus didn't want that out because that wasn't the reason that he came into the world. That wasn't the type of messiahship he was here for at that time. His goal was to die upon the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Let's read this together, please. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The disciples could never understand what true messiahship was until they got to the cross. And then on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, they could say, oh, now I understand why Jesus came to this world. Not to deliver the people from Rome, but to deliver the people from their sins. To pay the penalty on the cross that they owed to God for their sins. That was the main purpose, of course, in Jesus coming to this world. 2 Peter 3.9 is, is one of my all-time favorite verses. Let's look at it and read it together. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so these disciples of his wanted him to be the ruler, the king, right now. But Jesus' goal was to die upon the cross so the people could uh, have the penalty of their sin paid for in his atonement. And so they came down into the valley of suffering and service. You know, if we're going to rescue the perishing, we have to go where the perishing are. You know that? When Joanne and I were going through Bible college back in the little town of Springfield, Missouri, uh, it was a town of over 40 churches like this church. I had three Bible colleges. And those college students had worked that town for years. And everywhere you would go, if you wanted to invite somebody to your church, you would say, hey, listen, I'd like to invite you. Oh, no, I already go to a church. I'm already saved. And I thought to myself, how are we going to find any unsaved people in this town? These Bible college students have literally worked this town over. There's no unsaved people left. And so I got the idea. I've heard that you can preach in the jail. And so I went down and I volunteered. And I became a jail preacher. And so I showed up at the jail, and to my surprise, there was a big group of guys there because they like to get out of their cells. And man, they're easy to preach to, and they amen almost everything you say. And they want the service to last longer because after it's over, they have to go back to their cell. And so you think you're doing real good. They're encouraging you. And you walk out of there and you feel good. Uh, but that's, that's where people were that needed the Lord. Uh, the pain of the world. It's everywhere. Uh, you know, you can't reach the world if you're hanging out on the mountain. You have to come down. You have to come down where people are. The day-to-day -day emergencies. Jesus came into the world for all the people of the world, uh, but his mind, uh, it's, he seemed like he was able to stop and minister one-on-one -on -one so easily because, you know, 
that's what the world is about. You know, it's, it would be easy for us in this church to go over the Christmas list and give our money and say, hey, listen, let's wash our hands. Our responsibility is over. It's easier to think about the world than it is the guy that you work with. And uh, one of your coworkers or one of your neighbors or one of your friends that you go bowling with or something else. Um, but Jesus, you know, he, he gave the people individually this attention. Uh, they came down and uh, here in verse number 17, there was a brokenhearted parent that came to him. Uh, many people that we know are in this category even today. If you're a parent, you're, you've been there or you're going there. This boy had epilepsy, convulsions, and he was like every good parent. He tried everything, and uh, he decided that because he couldn't find Jesus, probably that he would go to the disciples, but the disciples couldn't heal him, and they were concerned later about this. They couldn't expel the demon. Now, remember, they had expelled demons before, but they couldn't expel this one. I was reading a commentary, and the commentator said something I'd never considered before. And he said, maybe this demon that he, he, the disciples couldn't expel was stronger, a stronger demon than they had expelled before. And, he, and he, the, his explanation of this is, we believe in the Bible there are ranks of angels and demons, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and, and they're kind of ranked according maybe to strength. And so he had an interesting point. Maybe this demon that was in this boy that caused this epilepsy was stronger than other demons that they had dealt with before. And they weren't able to cast this one out. Now, they had been sent out to, to cast out demons. And Jesus left the nine down, on the, down in the valley as he took Peter, James, and John up and probably expected them to do the job. Uh, but they failed. And so I think this is, ap this is interesting for us today. When those people around us fail, what do we do? Well, we follow the example of Jesus. We have to deal with the situation that confronts us. Uh, we have to get on with the present task. You know, the church ministry is, is big and varied. There are so many things going on at our church. And uh, every now and then we look at one particular area and we say, boy, that's not as good as we'd like it to be. We wish it would be better. How do we handle that? Uh, here's how we handle that. We just keep doing as best we can in our little part of the church, in our little part of the world. That's all we can do. Say, I'm going to make my ministry as successful as it can be. We can't look around and say, oh, this is like weak now or this is strong now. That's, you know, we can do the best that we can do and that's all that we can do. But, but we can do what Jesus did here. The disciples failed around him, and he said, listen, I'm just going to keep doing my mission. Uh, here's an interesting statement I picked up somewhere. It says, we always get less than we hope for from the church or its servants. You know, our expectations are so high in the church. You know, we come to church and we say, boy, this church won't let me down, right? This Christian, I have so much confidence in them, they won't let me down. I always tell people, lower your expectations, please you get a lot happier. Lower them. In fact, I tell them Murphy's Law works best in the church. You know what that is? Whatever can go wrong, you got it, don't you? It works best in the church. So that when something works good, you'll say, hey, this is really great. 
Well, uh, we always get less than we hope for from the church and its servants. Don't let the ineffectiveness of a church stop you in your mission for Christ. You know that? You just concentrate on your area and make it as good as you can. That's all that you can do. Well, the, what was the cause that they failed? What was the cause? I believe that they were overconfident. They've been equipped with power, but power needs prayer to maintain it. You know, we'd all, we've all been given a gift, but unless we maintain that close relationship with the Lord, our gift withers away. My mother used to say, Johnny, if you don't use it, you will lose it. Sure. Uh, if we don't nurture our spiritual life, our spiritual life just rip, shrinks up. It just shrivels up. It really does. Uh, they were overconfident. Can you imagine it? And, you know, all of us have been there, and we are, we're all like this. They went out, and they, remember Jesus sent them out, go preach, go cast out demons, and they were doing it left and right, I'm sure, and they came back and said, hey, boy, look at this. Aren't we great? Look what we can do. But then they ran into this kid who had a demon that they couldn't exercise. They were overconfident. And the real problem was lack of prayer. If we don't pray, what happens? We lose vitality. Things become a performance rather than an offering to God. You know, the church can perform well. You know that? The church can perform well almost without God. We can get up and do our thing that we've been trained to do. We can look pretty good on the surface. But uh, it ends up just being a performance rather than an offering to God without the power of prayer and the vitality of the connection that we foster with God through prayer. And so it's so neat on Sunday morning when we come into the church. We have a group of teachers back here in this room down that hall where the office area is meeting for prayer. We have a group of teachers in Promised Land downstairs in their circle of prayer. The people, the singers are up here, and I always see Rhonda leading them in prayer. Uh, we don't want what we do to become a performance. Because when we do that, the spiritual vitality is gone. What we want to do is we want to come together and we want to connect with God strongly through prayer so that what we do is not a performance. It is an offering of spiritual service to God. And when we come together in prayer, all of us can teach a Sunday school class, or some of us could teach a Sunday school class, or, or all of us could do some of the little jobs that we have around the church, but we want to do it with the power of the Lord upon our life. We want the kiss of God in our ministry. And we do that when we pray because these people didn't pray and they failed because they didn't have humility. Prayer denotes humility. See, if I run into the church, if it, let's just, we'll take us, if I run into the church on Sunday morning and I just come up here and say, okay, I can do this, I've done this a lot before, and I'll just do this again, that's presumption that I can do it. And usually with that attitude, it's not too good. But if I can come, I'm just using myself as an example. If I can come and say, Lord, 
you know, this ministry belongs to you, and, and I, I can't really do this the way you want it done. And I'm humbling myself in your sight to receive your blessing. You know what happens? God says, okay, I can use you today. You're usable. You, you can be used. Because it was an act of humility. It was an act of humility. These disciples that were ineffective were overconfident and they were not humble because they weren't praying. Um, Jesus couldn't resist this young boy that was brought to him. Uh, the scribes were around there gloating that the disciples had failed. And so Jesus gives the condition of this healing. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. That's the condition. Him who believes. His faith was a little shaky and he was willing to admit it. Now this is a good prayer. Every time I used to see this, I would kind of chuckle, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But you know, that last part of that prayer is a prayer of faith. Because he's saying to the Lord, Lord, I need my prayer to be strengthened. And when we pray that prayer, guess what God says? That's exactly what I want you to pray. You need your prayer strengthened. How many people here say, will say with me that today that you need your faith to be strengthened? Would you raise your hand? Okay, that's all of us, right? Sure. And so, and so don't be ashamed about that. You're in good company. You're in good company. We all need our faith to be strengthened. And so let's get honest with God and say, Lord, I believe in you, but by the way, I need my strength to be, to be built up. And the Lord says, boy, that guy really does believe in me because he's asking me to build his faith. And so Jesus couldn't resist. Now, now notice this. The disciples had failed... But when the disciples came into the presence of Jesus, their faith, came, his faith came to life. And this man who brought the son, his faith came to life too. Faith comes to life when we get in the presence of the Lord. The faith will come to life. Now what do we get from this whole story this morning? Uh, the mountaintop, the valley. Here's a point. You know, retreats are so necessary for our spiritual vitality. Retreats are necessary for our spiritual vitality. Now, we can't, we can't, we don't have a retreat for the men every other two months. We don't have that. And so what we have to do is we have to invent our own retreat. Our own time that we get away with the Lord and we see his glory. Uh, someone said that before you speak to man, you should always speak to God first. And so we have to invent, we have to create our own retreat. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. No one put it any better than Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Let's look at this carefully this morning. And let's read it together, please. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. 
and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Go in and close the door. That's your retreat. All of us in this church today need to have a place to retreat. It doesn't have to be the same place, but it has to be a place. A place that we can just get open and honest and talk to God just like he was there in the room with us because he is there in the room with us. And so retreats are necessary. You see, you can't deal with the problems in the valley, the arguments, the demonism, the hatred. You can't deal with them unless you walk off of the mountain of God. Because if you don't have the power of God on your life, if you don't have a holy glow about your existence, you are powerless just like the disciples. And your ministry becomes just a ministry of words rather than production. But it's amazing what God can do when somebody has been in close proximity with Christ. How everything changes because of that. Another thing that we learned from the story this morning is that power is fueled by prayer. You know, when you accept the Lord as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit, and that's a wonderful thing. Amen. You're never alone again, and uh, you always have that inner voice that's telling you, hey, go in this direction. I'll lead you in paths of righteousness if you follow me. And the Holy Spirit never leads you in the wrong direction. He always leads you in the right direction. And so it's a wonderful thing. But, uh, but, if, but if we're not in fellowship with the Lord and we're not retreating with Christ, uh, we start to lose the power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit because our flesh becomes stronger and stronger rather than weaker and weaker. And before long, the flesh is calling the shots rather than the Spirit because we're not yielded to the Spirit. And so this power that all of us have available within us is fueled by prayer. And as you draw closer to the Lord through prayer, you have more power. I think someone said one time, little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. Another thing that we learned from the story this morning is to bring people to Jesus. Uh, bring those in need to Jesus. That's the ultimate destination. You know, in our church, we talk a lot about you bringing people to church, and I think that's really important because, you know, if you could interview a lot of people in this church, they will say their first steps to God, somebody invited them to church. They went and they heard a message that really, uh, that really spoke to their heart, and, and it was, that was like the first steps of their, their way to God. And inviting people to church is important. The church is important, but it's not the final destination. The final destination is for us to bring people face-to-face -face with Christ, face-to-face -face with Jesus, because churches come and go. And uh, there's no telling this morning if we could have people stand and say, okay, when I was a young kid, I went to that church. And when I was older and lay, I went to this church. And then I went, moved here and I went to that church. And then I was in this state and I went to that church. And the final destination is not the church. It's Christ. 
because uh, when you have Christ, that's what it's all about. A lot of times people get the wrong impression and they think, boy, if I could just find a good church. Well, you know, that's fine, but churches come and go. Uh, when you find the Savior, I'll tell you, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And he never fails you. Now, the church will fail you. Your good friends in the church will fail you. The pastor will fail you. But Jesus will never fail you. Jesus will never fail you. We used to sing the old song in the church, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus never fails. I mean, we used to walk out of church and we were like on a cloud. And my mother would say, Johnny, always remember, Everybody will fail you, but never the Lord. And I'm here today to tell you that she was right. Jesus never fails. We fail a lot, right? And so whenever we're bringing people into the church, we're, uh, we're bring, our goal is, yeah, get them into church. Bring them here. Because they're not, have, they're, they're not having a revival sleeping in this morning. But they could have a revival if they came here and they opened their heart to Christ. The church gives us a place to serve, and that's important. Because, you know, you feel a great loss unless you're serving in life. Everybody wants a cause. You know that? Young people, you want a cause. You want to do something with your life. You want to make a difference. You want to make an impact. The greatest cause in all the world is preaching the gospel. Robert Morgan once told the story of a preacher who was approached by a man who wanted to join the church. The man came to the pastor and he said, I want to join your church uh, but um, I'm, my schedule is very busy and I can't do any kind of service whatsoever. Uh, like being on a committee or setting up chairs or teaching, count me out. I'm just too busy. I'm not available for any special projects either. And the pastor was kind of taken back because that's not the normal way to talk. He was kind of taken back and he said after a while, he said, you know, uh, I believe you're at the wrong church. The church you're looking for is across town, and he gave the address. And so the fellow got back in his car, and he went across town. And he pulled up to the address, and he found this church. Uh, it was an old, abandoned, boarded-up building, closed down. It was a dead church, out of business. You know, that's what happens to churches that don't have servants. This man was at the right church then. You know, being a church means being a servant. It really does. Uh, whenever Jesus brought the disciples down off the mountain, he says, okay, guys, get ready. The action's starting now. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to be in on the action. You know that? I'm like an action-oriented person. <laughs> it's like if there's action, I want to be there. And, you know, the, the action that really excites me is the service of the Lord. You guys talk about going on this mission trip. I think, yeah, I want to go there too. You're talking about going downtown and passing out tracks. I said, I want to do that too. I, I want to be where the action is. And I think in your heart, you want to be there too. Because when you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, he leads you into service for Christ. And so, but, but let's put these two pieces together. You have that in your heart, but you can't do it unless you're on the mountain with the Lord. You can't do it.
And so what we have to continually do is we have to go down to serve and then we have to go up to commune with the Lord. And then he strengthens us once more to go back down in the valley of need. And then when we're depleted, we go up again and we say, Lord, I need more power. I need more power. And you know what he does? They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not fall. He sends us down again. And that's what life is about. It's going up to be with the Lord, and then it's coming down to serve. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, uh, the valley of need is all around us, and I know many of you are wrestling and wrestling with the, your needs or the needs of others close to you. I understand that because I, I deal with that every week, and I feel for you, and I'm like every, every pastor that has a heart for his people. I, I wish I could lift some of the burden off of you. Uh, I can't do much of that, and sometimes I let you down uh, because I don't do uh, probably what you need me to do at the particular moment. But I'm here today to tell you that uh, in order for you to have strength for the journey, uh, you have to do what Jesus said. Go in and lock that door and, and gain strength from me. Let me build you up so that you can go down again into the valley. And you say, you know, uh, will the valley ever end? I, I don't think it will, truthfully. I wish I could say, yeah, your valley will end. I, I don't know if it ever will. But I know one thing. He will give you the strength if you go to him. But if you try to do it by yourself, you'll, you'll fail. You'd be like the disciples of Jesus left on the ground. They couldn't do it. So my message to you is this. Uh, never grow weary. Never grow ashamed of running to Christ and gaining new strength for the journey. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We pray now that as we bring our service to a conclusion that our hearts may be so affixed to this message that, uh, that we will move our schedules and we will move our life to pray to you and not be overconfident in the ministry and not have a performance rather than an offering of service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.